0: Welcome to the Zulu Time podcast, a straight talking conversation between two watch enthusiasts about the world of military watches. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to episode 68 of the Zulu Time podcast with your host Dan from Timely Underscore Moments. Bye guys, um, I'm clearly on a roll with recording because I've managed to record like one episode every week so far since the beginning of uh, 2023. Uh, I'm really pleased with that kind of ratio, and I think I'm going to do quite well with that. Heading into February, I've got a few other uh, interviews lined up with some other companies, which is really cool. Um, I hope you enjoyed the last episode, which was the collaboration episode uh, with the Rico's Watchers podcast. Eric was a really cool guy. Um, if you haven't already started to follow him in his podcast, obviously go check him out because he's a really interesting guy. He gets some really interesting... Um, watch collectors and people that he knows in the community as well onto his onto his show and the other benefit with his show is that he actually has a YouTube channel which links to his podcast where if you want to see the people being interviewed you can do because some of the episodes they actually bring up like slideshows and references and stuff like that um so there's like multi-layers of the uh, Rico's Watches podcast so like I said please go check him out give him some, some support and um I plan to actually get um, Eric back onto the podcast um, because I've come up with an idea for a future episode, probably around the time of Watches and Wonders, where I'm gonna get a group of independent watch podcasters together. And we're going to have an independent panel discussion on what we think you know, like is happening for 2023. And then we're also gonna do a bit of a question and answer kind of uh, episode where you as the audience for all of our podcasts, um, can submit questions uh in the week leading up to the recording and then we'll take the top three from each podcast and we'll discuss them as an audience panel and hopefully like i said it will glean some traction to all of our um independent podcasts but also kind of like bring the independent podcast like audience watch podcast audience together as well so that'd be quite an interesting way to do it Um, but um Today's episode is another interview. I've managed to coerce Oscar uh, from Presidious Watches to come on. And that's really cool for me because, firstly, this episode has been planned probably since November. It's just our time scales and our timelines haven't like matched up because I was away. Um, to see those and then obviously there was Christmas and the New Year's. So without further ado, Oscar, thank you for giving up your time. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Well, I mean, thanks for having me, Daniel. Uh, sorry, Daniel um yeah it's awesome to be here I mean it's cool also that you just mentioned um um the other podcast because I mean I feel like it's a really cool community that sometimes like people like me kind of either forget about or not forget about but like don't really consider in part as part of like communication and so it's awesome like to hear like I, just, I didn't even know you were doing this for Washington Wonders and it's, it's a really cool initiative so yeah
0: yeah thanks man like so like, the idea was actually cooked up out the back of a conversation with aj who runs the bellingham podcast and the analog explorer podcast and um obviously i always put a show note into him below when i mention him because he's a good bloke um but we were talking about it like let's get independent kind of ideas like these you know because Let's be honest, like the really big podcasts like Hedinki, The Grey NATO, like they're great podcasts to listen to. Um, Warner Wan, Fatello and all that kind of stuff. I think they're really good avenues, like you said, for like the wider watch industry. But sometimes, you know, let's be honest, you know, and they could correct me. But from my point of view, I'm a little bit cynical. I do believe that they have an opinion that will slant their audience to a certain, you know, Watch type, watch brand, uh, yeah. you know, and and their opinions are, you know, they will be slightly gleaned towards, you know, the larger companies because fundamentally they're sponsored by them, you know, and that's not a bad thing, yeah. you know. I just think as an audience that people have to be aware, and like I said, I had this conversation with AJ and just went, wouldn't it be really nice just to kind of break up the mix and get some independent thoughts on you know people who effectively don't get sponsored by these larger companies and by these events just to talk about like the watches and these releases for 2023 at like the consumer level because at the end of the day like you know the people who run the podcast that i've done joint collabs with are just normal people you know and i think that would be quite a cool idea um but anyway you know that's like a future episode and it's it's you know that's that's in the works um oscar we're here to obviously talk about presidious watches and i've been following you guys since you were first incepted uh which is really cool oh, really? um wow. yeah man like awesome. you know you got popped off my radar and you know like for me you know as, as before we kind of like start the recording you were talking about military watches and how i love the history of military watches and i think it's great that a brand like yourself is coming back in to effectively give a little bit of a revival to uh, you know particular watch lines and obviously in particular the initial watch that you launched, which was the A11. Uh, yeah. But before we get into um, obviously the history of the A11 and obviously Presidious and the future of Presidious, what watch have you got on your wrist today? Um, yeah, so today I'm wearing my, um,
1: so it's a new collection that we're going to be releasing a bit later this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called the A5 UDT, uh, okay. UDT for Underwater Dive Team. Um, yeah. so the precursors to the Navy SEALs during World War II and uh, I, I know that like there's no video on the podcast but basically it's it's also known as the USN Bush Ships watch which was mm-hmm. like with an oversized crown to provide some degree of water resistance um, because back then it wasn't the same way of making watches as we do now so to get a water resistance you kind of had to have like this huge oversized crown so that's what I'm wearing today with a little Salida, uh, sorry a soprod Pizzo 24 inside so It's a cool, it's a cool watch to wear around.
0: (laughs) Nice. Nice. And like I said, you know, again, I think what's really cool about, um, what you, um, as a company do is that you have looked through effectively the back catalogs of military watches, you know, that have been, you know, I've spoken about other podcasts, you know, for the last three years and you're bringing that availability back to the market in a modern way, um, where people can appreciate the history, but also more importantly, from my point of view, actually wear those watches. Yeah. You know, I have vintage pieces and actually my wristwatch check today is a vintage 1940s dated um, ATP, so army awesome. time, Army timepiece or army trade pattern. This particular watch was made by Vertex, um, which is really cool because obviously um, as the people who listen to a podcast for a while now know that I'm friends with Don Cochran. Don is the owner um, of mm-hmm. Vertex watches and similar to yourself, obviously has, you know, gone his own route uh obviously because you know he's familial ties to vertex you know mm-hmm. it, um his great grandfather being who he was you know he's revived vertex and obviously he started um the vertex modern line with the revival of the dirty dozen watch or in his case you know known as the uh, vertex m100 so yeah. um i am wearing an original uh, back from 1940 <laughs> which is really cool um these watches are really small um they're like 31 32 mil yeah wide um and, like and then yeah a lot yeah originally 11s and the how wound which is really cool um but what i think is really nice about it and it's something where i've had this discussion i'm going to mention them again um aj we talk about field watches there's not many modern field watches like in terms of military ones with white dials there just isn't mm. you know if you look at them we, we, we typically think dark colored dials yeah um so i like wearing it for that reason as well um and the other thing what i like about this watch was really cool is actually under the light you'll notice that the hands are actually blued. so back in 1940 it turns out for yeah, watches they just blue flame the hands which is really nice yeah. um awesome. so that's what i've got on on today uh, and i thought it was in keeping with obviously your company and obviously <laughs> the, the watches we're going to talk about today as well
1: that's cool it's, it's, i mean i like the bun the Boone leather strap as well um yeah we're actually it's it's always cool it's always look, it always looks good on like an actual vintage style field watch so it's so it's yeah a good exactly
0: and, and 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 like i said it also because they're so small it adds in wrist presence so yeah you know, well. normally um the bun straps like you said on a, i think on a modern watch you have to get the watch right in terms of the size before you put one on whereas the, with the vintage old ones i think just yes. put them on there anyway because you know it I makes agree. them look cool um, but anyway, so that's my wristwatch check. Um <laughs> Presidious then, Oscar, what actually made you start, Presidious? Because like I said <laughs> effectively, you popped up on my timeline as you know a few years ago, and I just clicked follow because I saw obviously all the teasers to what you were going to release, and you know at the time you and you know you are the person who brought back the a eleven, you know, uh, and that's a big thing. So you know for those who don't know what the a eleven is, the A eleven was um, effectively the Navigator's Watch issued to U.S. Air Force and Allied um, airmen and personnel uh, conducting obviously all the um, overflights, bombing raids, and you know fighter sorties over over Western Europe, effectively, and even the Far East. Um, so it's nicknamed the Watch that won the war because effectively, you know, without you mm-hmm. know beating around the bush, we effectively bombed the Third Reich into submission. So, you know, that, that's the history behind it. But why, you know, basically, yes. Yeah, so yeah. why did you start Presidious and why did you choose the A11 as your first one?
1: Yeah, so basically, we didn't really, when when we started working on Presidious, it wasn't supposed to be a brand at first, um, as it is today. Originally, basically, the story was that um, I was hiking. This is like the really the, the full story is I, I was originally hiking um for a month in um tibet not not the yeah not tibet like the southern part of tibet which is mm-hmm. i want to say more accessible for foreigners like me and uh during like during that month over there i met with um a french war photographer which actually you mm-hmm. might know his name is to um oh, I, don't I don't know Maybe now <laughs> no. okay so he's he's like Accredited, he's like one of the only French photographers to be accredited to go with like in with the special forces. Okay. Um cool. with the Foreign Legion stuff like that. Um, so uh and so basically uh we met back in 2019, 2018, 2018, mm-hmm. end of 2018, and um a few years ago, we, we 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 become good friends and then uh fast forward to um 2019, summer of 2019, uh which was the seventy seven 75th anniversary of D Day. Mm-hmm. Um, and Thomas was there uh, sent basically by um, by mainstream media of France to photograph the celebrations for the 75th. And mm-hmm. at that time, part of the celebrations, there was uh, Tom Rice. So Tom yeah. Rice is a World War II veteran mm-hmm. from the 101st Airborne who had actually jumped on D-Day. Um, obviously, that was in the early morning of D-Day, not actually mm-hmm. landing on the beach. Um, behind the lines to base start to already kind of wreak havoc, havoc and chaos on the German lines before yeah. the actual landing started.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so he met this Tom and he started talking with about with him specifically because Tom was going to jump again at ninety seven years old. Um, impressive for the seventy yeah. fifth anniversary. Yeah. It's it's this guy. This guy was like on another level. Um. And so. Because of the jump, I think that's why like he kind of stood out for like uh, Thomas. So they talk- started talking, and Tom starts explaining his actual, I want to say D-Day jump. Um, yeah. and so basically what happened? So Tom was on bought, He actually bought an A eleven before jumping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he had it on his wrist obviously when he went jumping. Also, it was a useful. It was quite a useful watch to have at that point because when you're he was lead paratrooper, He was the lead jump. Which meant yep. that also it's pretty useful to have a watch to actually know if you're jumping at the right time or not. Um, and so during his jump, he basically the the C forty seven he was in got uh, hit by um anti-air
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, he got violently rocked, I want to say, um <laughs> by 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 the by the anti-air. Uh, and basically he smashed against the fuselage of the plane. Uh, okay. Obviously, that was at the same time as he was above the LZ, so I didn't think he just jumped. Um, mm-hmm. He jumps. He then uh, fell in, fell to the ground pretty safely, but fell unconscious. Mm-hmm. He wakes up. He hears um, a sound.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And back then, the 101st was all equipped with little clickers. These are like these little British toys. Yeah, um, I remember the the so, crickets, weren't they? they went- exactly. The crickets I actually have one, so I can maybe for the podcast I can recreate the noise. I don't know, yeah, yeah. but uh, basically, um, yeah. He, he had his own so he he uses it and the instructions were you click once uh, if you hear a noise and if it's another American from the 101st, he has to click twice yeah. back um And so what happened for Tom is that he clicked once uh no answer. so he clicked once again, no answer. so he shot in direction of the noise. he went to see it turns out he actually had shot a German soldier mm-hmm. um and Tom being um, pretty religious, was keen on um, not burying, but yeah, providing some sort of like um, tombstone, I want to mm-hmm. say, to the dead German soldier. And so he went on to engra- to engrave on a tree right next to the German soldier, the date and the time, except that when he looked at his as his wrist, he found out that he actually lost his watch. Oh, okay. um, so that's actually this story. Then um, my friend, the, the war photographer, heard about it. And then he was like, okay, like, this is a really cool project. You gotta do something about it, and so originally the idea was just to recreate Tom's lost watch of D-Day, yeah, and in that sense, um, which was then an A11. Um, So we went to his place. We basically printed out on like just A4 paper um, tons of different A11 designs that would have that he could have bought to kind of try Mm -hmm. and like find the right one that he had. Um, Turns out he had the um, naval aviator version. Mm -hmm. um which was a hamilton i forgot the i forgot the exact spec but it wasn't actually a um a11 it was basically the naval version of the a11 yeah um which basically the only difference was that in the requirements it had to be loomed they had to have radium loom on it um yes because the
0: yeah the the, most of the a11s weren't loomed um yeah which is interesting because when it so just bring it back to the podcast and the history, the history segment of the podcast. Yeah. Um. We spoke about the A11s and the navigators and watches. And we said how it's funny because a lot of the, even like, you know, after that, um, a lot of the um navigational watches didn't have loom because the navigators had the ability to turn on lights in the cockpits yeah. and stuff like that. So people forget <laughs> that. And it's the same for the Submariner's watches, you know, the 60s, like they don't have loom, um, especially yeah. on nuclear powered ships, because obviously at the time, Radium exactly. or tritium would set it all off. So they yeah. just had white hands and at the end of the day they can turn the lights
1: on. So yeah, exactly. But um yeah, so basically that's how we found out what Tom's model was, just by <laughs> literally showing him every single model we could find and then telling him, Is this it? No, is this it? No. Mm-hmm. And then he found out we found his model, which is what basically started the entire project. So originally no. it was just more a passion project between yeah. me and my dad of yeah. uh let's go and let's recreate this veteran's watch. watch. Yeah kind of for him first it wasn't even for like to sell and then that 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 kind of then we started meeting with people talking about the idea the project and that's when actually we're like you know this is this is something you can definitely like create a brand out of and 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 a story and so that's how I started with just the Tom Rice A11 Mm -hmm. uh, which we still have now on our website I would say now it's honestly for me it's the most important collection we have because Mm -hmm. of like the story behind it and because it started the entire thing yeah um and then from there so that that was in 2019 so we started that we we were it worked well and then that's when we were like okay let's let's diversify a bit so we added you different movements mm-hmm. um we added uh, different qualities with like k1 glass or sapphire and blah 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 like different just different things that people would like More, or prefer yeah. to see instead of a single model but we kept on that same dial um, which for me was more inexperienced than anything else because we weren't sure, you know, people really like another dial, blah blah blah. So um, for like I would say a year and a half, two years, we kept on just that single dial design, yeah. which was like the original A11 Hamilton style design that we had um, before diversifying. And so for me, that was that started last year in 2022. Yeah. Started with uh, where where for me 2022 is really when the brand came into its own and actually became a a brand and it stopped being just a passion project of ours. And it became a real brand with like actual, with an actual logic inside of the designs inside Mm -hmm. of the, it's always authentic first and history based as well. That's always going to be the center of the the designs, but just opening it up a bit. And so that's when we started first with a, a fun project, which was the A11 combat, which was a 32 millimeter quartz, uh, version of the a11 tom rice mm-hmm. um and to be honest i didn't really think it would sell um turns out we actually sold the entire inventory in like under a month which yes. was impressive and it was also super interesting because as we were talking earlier like 32 mil is is super small it's mm-hmm. not considered like very manly as well in brackets because these were like the watches that went to war in the 40s so yeah i don't really know what what, what that means but um yeah, like uh, it was interesting to see there was an appetite for the 32 yep. mil and smaller diameters. And so that's when we started to be like, okay, let's let's try some other things. And that kind of came to our, a culmination with two of our projects uh, from last year, which I think is really where the brand, yeah, as I said, came into its own and became a recognizable brand. Um, mm-hmm. First one being the Marston Mats, which was a awesome project we did where um, we... He had found a actual martial mat. So for people who don't know, martial mats were used by the uh, U.S. military um, to either create these um, temporary, rail, uh, sorry, temporary roads or temporary uh, airfields. Uh, they're what we call PSP, so it's perforated steel planks. It could just yeah. like Legos kind of mm-hmm. fit together and create a, I want to say, like, yeah, yeah India they were and for um area. yeah they were like yeah
0: they were like temporary runways weren't
1: they exactly and so yeah. we we found one in uh, normandy mm-hmm. um and that was on utah beach it was basically originally it was used for d-day uh it was the idea was that this would make these temporary roads to prevent trucks from actually you know uh getting stuck in the sand um during the the I mean, during the landings and so we found one uh, last year and we processed it into dials uh, and we mm-hmm. made 150 pieces. Um, and that that's like the real, real cool project that we did last year. And then the second one is the Type 44, which was a manual wind acrylic glass 32 millimeter A11, which for me really is, yeah, that's the ultimate goal that we've achieved last, last year.
0: Yeah, which, you know, on paper and, you know, is effectively the closest thing that anyone can get without going out to find a real one as it were you know one from the 40s you know yeah it's... i would
1: say i would say yeah i mean from from what i've seen at least on on the market today yeah i'd say mm-hmm. i think we're probably the most authentic when you look at like the specs and mm-hmm. all of that and um, there yeah. are others that do as authentic in terms of just the pure like design of it yeah yeah i think we want to step further with like going for the specs with the acrylic instead of a sapphire uh with the manual one instead of an automatic yeah. like even if it's i i don't want to say more annoying but less modern in terms of the specs it's more authentic. It's, so
0: it's true to the um well, it's, it's true to design, like you said, isn't it? It's true to the original specs, yeah, isn't it? By exactly. by doing it that way, and you know, I'm I'm one of those kind of people. I I think, uh, I guess, you know, a little bit old fashioned, probably. You know, I romanticize that era <laughs> a lot. You know, I, you know, I read about it, I watch tv about it you know all that kind of stuff and for me like if you're going to effectively reissue something you know for want of a better expression then you know certain elements of that design of that specification need to be adhered to you know and I think manual round watches I think are great you know and I I think as well like they need to I think I like to think you know as a prediction for 2023 I do actually like think that uh, manual round watches will come back in a little bit more um because at the end of the day like i think it's just something really cool about you know taking mm-hmm. that that moment in your day um to wind the watch you know And i think it's really yeah. cool you know that's actually interesting because that,
1: that's kind of what um some of our of our buyers were were telling me it's like it's super cool to actually have this relationship with your watch where mm-hmm. you have to kind of wind it up every day so you have to think about it every day every morning when mm-hmm. you're putting it on you have to wind up to t- 10 20 30 times yeah yeah and then just go on with your day, but, like, you have, like, just, yeah, like, a very personal relationship with the watch, and that's something that, like, yeah, people have appreciated with our, with our, with our with that release, which was, again, surprising. I mean, I don't know, maybe people think that when we release, like, collections, they think we're, like, absolutely sure that it's going to work, and then people are going to love it. To be honest, that's kind of a myth. Um, Mm -hmm. There's some, there's some, like, kind of degree of uncertainty and yeah with with the type 44 that definitely was there with the acrylic glass and with the manual wine. so mm-hmm. it's good news because it worked out but uh yeah it's, yeah,
0: yeah and it's also yeah. there's two versions isn't there of it effectively there's like a, a patinaed yeah. version and then there's a non patinaed version exactly, um yeah. so going off your you know from speaking to you earlier and you know over the time that we've been speaking in general you know and your your pages and your site uh, just for the people aware the difference is effectively it's just the loom and the dial colorings you know on, yeah. on the mark the hands and uh, hands and the markers but in terms of actual functionality if someone was to buy it they see no difference in terms of the luminescence on the actual dial it's all the same um or, uh, i would say it's 95 percent the same yeah. um mm-hmm. Basically,
1: the whiter the loom is, um, the better it is. So yeah. obviously, if it's a yellow shade, which is kind of what the Faux Patina is, mm-hmm. it'll be just a little less good. But typically mm-hmm. that's why we we have huge, I want to say not huge, it's it's a huge challenge to typically have a white dial black index uh, mm-hmm. watch because the loom sucks on uh, black paint. Mm-hmm. So typically what we would do is like contour. I'm actually working on it right now, another design. Where yeah, we're contouring the black index because else people will be like there's no lume in this. It sucks when actually it's just that the black paint isn't adapted to loom. So it's mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's but it's basically the same. And yeah, so the folk patina is. I mean, we talked about this, it's fun. Uh, we we it's it's more of um yeah, it's more for people who are who want the vintage feel yeah. uh, of a watch that actually like aged through the years, whereas mm-hmm. the white dial version is actually. That's like the factory factory finish style. So it's like as if it was hot off the uh, Hamilton assembly line back in 1944 or Waltham yeah. or Elgin or something. So it's it's two different styles for two different for people who look for two different things when they buy mm-hmm. um the style. So and then we also have yeah, like 32 or 38, because again, as I said, like where were, we really weren't sure if it's people were interested in a 32. So the mm-hmm. 38 kind of like plays it safe. Also, some people obviously prefer 38 to 32. Mm-hmm. so yeah it's it's we try things we test yeah. out things and we hope it works <laughs>
0: yeah well, was that also a part of it when you released the tom rice watch because they're 40 yeah. aren't they you know they're, did that, did that play in, 30, yeah did that also play into you know like you said in terms of um audience for want of better exp- expression client base where you were looking at at the time kind of sizes that you th- You know were selling across the market was that a big factor or was it also availability on cases as well because obviously the other side of it is is again people don't realize this you know but you've started and effectively you would have had to have had your own cases designed you know because clearly there's not a 42 mil a11 case just hanging around is there? you know there's something that you'd have had to have designed (laughs) yourself yeah
1: so we developed it, uh, we developed the cases, but yeah, the 38 and 42 was less question of availability, I would say. It's more mm-hmm. a question of, yeah, as you said, um, what are the trends today in the watch industry? Mm-hmm. And in, in our case, as a brand new brand, we didn't even, you know, it was more a passion project, not really looking to do something that's absolutely revolutionary. Mm-hmm. 38 and 42 made more, the most sense. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, to be honest, like me personally yeah i'm more of a like a 32 to 36 guy yeah. Um, 38 being more my yeah the go-to f- for me in terms of just like the safest size to work with as yeah. uh like a brand mm-hmm. uh, 42 is it's useful because as i said like we have some what's cool is like in the community we have a bit of everything we have like the, the watch lovers the watch mm-hmm. picks, i guess but it's yeah. i don't want to sound like a, like negative about that, but it's, um, those guys are looking for the smaller things, but at the same time, we actually have like U S service members, which, you know, they, they have all their gear, they have, um uh, they're usually a bit bigger I mean, they mm-hmm. don't really want a, a 32 millimeter when they're like going into their training or something like that. I mean, I, I, literally, sometimes I receive pictures of, of some operators, which are like in some area in the globe <laughs> and you're like, why are you wearing your
0: presents? When I mean, it's cool though, isn't it? So, it's, I mean, it's cool though for like, you to see where your products crazy. end up. It's 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 crazy, like it, it's. I'm I'm like
1: every time I see something, I'm like I'm just like I have a huge smile on my face. I'm like, what what is going on? But um, I mean, yeah, it's just for those guys. Like a 42 mil makes more sense as as an example, as to, <laughs> as to why we have some bigger sizes.
0: Yeah, no, no, and like you said, it's modern trends, and and the other side of it, like you said, is you've got different. You've got different uh, audiences you have to hit. And at the end of the day, you know, let's, as much as you're clearly incredibly passionate about every watch, every line that you've released, and, you know, your future um, lines that, you know, you're going to release. Because I can tell just from how you're talking to me about <laughs> it and how we've, like I said, how we've conversed over the last few months. But at the end of the day, the other side of it is you are also a business. You have to sell watches in order to yeah. make new watches. And you know, and that's the other side of it. So, you know, I fully understand it. But it must be, like I said, it must be really cool to see your products end up you know on the wrists of not just like you said, currently serving military personnel, but across you know, anyone who goes and yeah. buys a Presidious watch, they've chosen to go to you for a reason, and it must be really cool to see where your watches are being worn. Mm-hmm. Um, another watch that I wanted to talk about before we kind of move on to some of your future uh prospects, as well, yeah. future lines that we've obviously loosely discussed last night. <laughs> um You've done a co- uh, um, a collaboration with the rifle. Now I think yeah. this is a really cool watch, and the reason, and it's it's unusual because I don't, I, I personally wouldn't normally look at a, a dial like that design and normally yeah. like it. But what I think is really cool um, is that it's frog skin camouflage. Um, yeah, actually, for those who here. For, for, for those who don't know what frox, why frog skin camouflage is really important, it's because it was one of the earlier forms of like what we would class as modern camouflage, guys. So if you watch the TV series The Pacific, or any film mm. to do with like, Iwo Jima, the US Marines you know, island hopping during the latter part of World War II, um, they may have been in green uniform, but their helmet covers were the early frog yeah. skin camouflage. Um, At this camouflage obviously then later on went on to develop other camouflages and obviously there was still frog skin hanging around especially within like the seal teams and like the LRRP guys uh during the vietnam war which is really cool um so how did that project come about oscar because like i said it's just it's quite an unusual one you've effectively collabed with a book effectively you know yeah
1: um, it's um it's more than a book i would say it's actually yeah for me the book is more of that mm-hmm. uh, that we collaborated with, but the actual the rifle is actually a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's a he's an awesome guy that works with veterans a lot. But like I mean a lot. I mean I, he's devoted to the cause of helping and working with World War II veterans. Mm-hmm. And so his story to kind of give some background, his story is he has an M1 Garand, um, yeah. a fully functioning one, or I I, sh- I think he should be able to shoot. Um and basically he goes around uh, and visits uh, World War II uh, veterans yep. and um collects their stories. I want to say, yep. um and references them and also gets them to sign directly on um the rifle. The rifle being the M1 Garand that he mm-hmm. uh, goes around with, um, and so that's like a it's a super cool story because basically for him and he describes this really well and the rifle like as in the actual object serves to bring um people together, bring back the memories and 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 the experience that these guys 70 70 80 years ago now almost 80 uh 70 to 80 years ago had lived through and 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 the things that they had had to do um and the sacrifices that they made and so because of that, it's it was such a super interesting collaboration. Because the M1 Garand is obviously the the service rifle for mm-hmm. most U.S. Uh, military at that time, yeah. um, and we had originally independently um, developed the A11 camo uh, yeah. with the frog skin dial and with the um, plated case. So, actually, the A11 camo is is is, is it's pretty interesting because. To be honest, it's probably, it's not one of our best selling models, I think, because of the fact that it's a bit more funky uh, with the camo dial. But so the originally we developed this, uh, I shared it with um, a WhatsApp group I have developed that community that I've developed on WhatsApp with um, some of my more um, talkative customers and uh, who specifically enjoy interacting and feeding back to and about presidious with me um and mm-hmm. spending some time talking to me and all of that and so i send them the design of the camo and they're like eh, not sure it doesn't you know like nah, they weren't 100 sold on it and so i reworked the design with them until to get what we have today which is with like this faded out kind of camo um and then the plating on the case was uh, inspired by the M1 Garand um, plating. And so we had these two elements before we actually mm-hmm. started to think and talk about uh, talk with the rifle. And obviously, we we already were talking, we we're already working with the M1 Garand as an inspiration for the design. So it just made a lot of sense to collaborate with him and also then to give back as well and support him. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how it came about is we contacted him. We said, we have this Heroes of the Pacific edition that we want to do. Uh, do you want to join us? We're more than glad to be able to support you through the through the collaboration. That way mm-hmm. we kind of like had the whole base covered on helping out someone that was, we found really was doing an awesome job mm-hmm. um, and also kind of re- releasing a collection, which again was trying to uh, bring back some of the experiences and sacrifices that had happened during the Pacific campaign. Because as as we say, at least for me i feel like the pacific campaign sometimes is easily forgotten compared to the more european campaign um for the u.s military yeah. even though it definitely end, is it was, was honestly more gruesome than the the european one it was longer as well yeah, um, it, was, yeah it was it was just a whole other ball game so
0: that's was, why that's
1: that's why it came about
0: it was like you said it's a whole other ball game but also like people forget i think about the like you said not only was it gruesome long and drawn out but the the kind of warfare was different you know um if you look at it from the british point of view there was um there's there's an entire army that's nicknamed the forgotten army because they forgot they effectively they sent them all out there and people you know people like you said just remember the day killing you know the you know the death of hitler the war is over in europe and you know, I think it's done really well. Have you seen? I mean, you would have seen it, I'm sure. And the the Pacific, the last episode of the yeah. Pacific talks about yeah. the the return of the of the US Marines, and yeah, you know and the how the memory and and like they were saying how you know effectively there was no parades in the streets for those guys yeah. when they came yeah. home because people were like, "Well, Hitler's gone, like it's it's done," you know. You know? Exactly. And I think that's it's mental, isn't it, to think that actually the war was still going for another, you know. um, i think it's four Two and or five a bit months. months four or five months you yeah, know at least when they, until yeah they surrendered. yeah so you've, i think what's it off the top of my head um V days what may uh and then yeah they were still fighting until August. oh wait, no,
1: you're right no i'm yeah i'm completely wrong on my day yeah well,
0: <laughs> you know so so <laughs> like or, or at least you know the capitulation of the of effectively the third reich was in may at some point you yeah. know um and then like you said even then you got three months of hard fighting until effectively mid to late august, august when, yeah yeah the the, the surrender. Atomic, yeah the japanese surrender after the dropping of the atomic of the atomic weapons on hiroshima and nagasaki like that's mental you know but yeah it also people forget it took so long to get all the servicemen back from those theaters of war as well as well yeah you know as well you know i, I can't even remember in watching like i said the dramatization of the pacific i can't even remember if there is actually a date mentioned when some of those guys got back that i don't think there is but it's you i don't, know, it I don't, I don't so remember long.
1: that specifically but yeah I mean,
0: no
1: that's why that's why like because obviously the a11 was worn by everyone whether it yeah. be the european uh campaign mm-hmm. or the pacific campaign but yeah like we felt like it made a lot of sense to develop specifically a pacific campaign yeah. inspired um even if it's yeah it's, it's not authentic and in, t- in the sense of it's not what an a11 would have been back then it made sense because it just, yeah, we were yeah. highlighting Tom and Vince, yeah. which are both uh, European campaign 101st Airborne guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of said, like, let's do something more focused on the Pacific. That's how, yeah. how it came about. And how it came out with the rifle was really more of us and him wanting to do something together. And yeah. that design kind of was ready for it. And we we're like, that's, that's a perfect design.
0: So, I, I like when yeah. I hear. I like when I hear about projects that serendipi- <laughs> serendipitously happen like that. I think it's great, you know. Yeah. And also, I remember the. I remember the release, and I remember it went very well, if I remember correctly, as well. Like so, you know. Uh, hats off to both of you in terms of you know like I said the rifle and and yourselves. I yeah, think it's great. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean people,
1: people people are we're happy about it. It's cool. It's it's a cool watch. I yeah, like it. yeah. <laughs> i like everything um, so of course yeah it must be great as well
0: like you said to to own effectively own your own company and design the things you like you know it's great yeah um, <laughs> um so uh, on the subject of owning a company and designing the things you like um what is the future kind of lines other than like so you mentioned the bu ships watch that you're clearly yeah. that's on your wrist at the moment so clearly there's a, a a nod there like you said to uh the beginnings of the u.s navy seals u.s navy diving and all that kind of stuff exactly. and, and, and yeah. taking it away from so we say airborne forces and air forces and looking at the yeah. maritime space is that something where you're going to look at you know maybe other designs within the maritime kind of sphere for warfare or are you just um, purely looking at the canteen watches um at the moment
1: so so actually yeah so uh, as you like correctly pointed out we're very focused on like right now at least the designs everything is very focused on one of first airborne mm-hmm. or like other kind of i want to say ground-based units um and so yeah so the the usn the, so the bush ships watch or bu ships i actually i don't know how you call it <laughs> mm-hmm. um uh that one is yeah definitely more or not to the like the beginnings of the navy seals with the udts mm-hmm. and all of that we also have another release coming up, which is a limited edition, where this time we're collaborating with Bud Anderson and okay. Dizlard. Um, So Bud Anderson is, I think he's the only, actually, uh, triple ace with 16, uh, 16 kills to mm-hmm. his uh, World War II campaign. So he was flying a P-51, mm-hmm. uh, and he uh, shot down 16 plus German planes uh, throughout his career uh, during World War II. He obviously mm-hmm. continued with the U.S. Air Force. So we're developing a watch with him. Um, which is basically a variation of the A17, which he was using during uh the Korean War, because obviously he flew as well in the Korean War mm-hmm. basically every single war. Um, and also then we've got Diz Lard. So Diz Lard is he's awesome, he's a US Navy pilot from World mm-hmm. War II as well. So he unfortunately he passed away um in August this year. Mm-hmm. Uh we're still going ahead with the project. Um mm-hmm. And uh, he's the only uh, U.S. Navy ace to have shot down planes in both the Atlantic and the Pacific, and so he's nicknamed the Ace of Two Oceans, mm-hmm. um, which is also a cool, pretty That's cool nickname. Cool. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um.
1: And we, for him, basically what we did is we designed a variation of the uh, the, the Bud watch, but just with a dial color, we changed it to go with uh, to make the blue of his F4F. Um because obviously at that time the camo on planes was a bit different than today's planes. And so mm-hmm. they were using like this sort of navy bluish color. And so we're gonna reuse that on his dial. And what's awesome with the why it's a limited edition is basically because we also sourced um a piece of F4F and a piece of mm-hmm. P51. So every single piece will actually be getting a tiny Element piece of, P-51 of, of the or uh, F4F. Yeah. So that's actually. Kind of like the opening up I was talking about earlier last year that we started. So this time with more focus on aviation, um, mm-hmm. with US Air Force and the US Navy based um pilots, I guess. Then mm-hmm. we got the A5, which is yeah, so the, the Navy SEAL one. And then this is this is this is more of a risk, um, I'll admit. The next one, it's the uh Vietnam era uh style of watches. Um and so that's kind of because. There's no shortage of watches to re-edit um, during World War II, but at some points, at least I feel for field watches, I feel like um, we get a bit stuck because at the end, you're just basically re-editing very, very, very similar designs. And mm-hmm. we wanted to bring a, something new, something also maybe a bit more modern in look and its look. So we went for, uh, we started looking around in, in the Vietnam era and that's when we fell on the Mac V Sog Seikos. Hmm. um which i know that you have one
0: <laughs> I, <laughs> I have know that you like i it a lot. i uh, I, uh, I have all three yeah um, oh you have yeah, really cool. all three wow yeah yeah cool. so i've got yeah you know, so- um apparently and again guys please drop me a message because um i've been saying this uh, a few times to different podcasts so far i haven't been corrected so i'm going to keep saying it uh i'm at least the only person in europe Mm. known or openly talking about them to say he has all three so awesome. i'm gonna hold that i'm gonna hold that onto that um to say that i'm the only person in the watch collecting community who openly admits to having all three of them which is quite wow. cool really um, but cool. yeah it, it took me Seem a long time to. <laughs> it took me it took me a long time to get hold of them um it took me about two years to be honest um well, yeah. I think the appetite for those the you know the Mm. um the chase as it were you know collectors understanding them researching them and trying to find them has increased like i'd say exponentially on those things like it is mental um i get a message oscar every month from a different person (laughs) asking me how I sell yeah asking me how much (laughs) i'd sell them for and if 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 it's not I then get follow up messages of do you know where to source them from (laughs) or can you help me find one? It is crazy. Like, um, and you know, I mean, again, go back to the, go back, you know, into the back catalog of the Zulu Time podcast, guys. Um, I did talk about those watches in the history segment. I've spoken about them on other podcasts about how I got a hold of them and all that kind of stuff. But it's interesting. There's a quite a good set of resources out there if you want to look for an original yeah. as well, or in your case, Oscar, look at the originals for obviously your design process. Um, there's a yeah, gentleman exactly. on YouTube who did a really good video. Um, and he's called Klein, watch Vintage, watch, Klein Vintage Watch Watch on, <laughs> on, on YouTube um, and on Instagram. And he does a lot of Seiko restoration and he's very, mm-hmm. very good at it as well. And quite a few of his videos are quite therapeutic. If you're into watches and just actually just watching someone <laughs> take something apart and build it, like if you just like that kind of stuff. Uh, and I like to think a lot of people in the watch fam do like that because obviously we like mechanical things. Quite therapeutic to watch it because not only does he do it, he, he explains like the problems that these watches have and how to fix them. Um, but he did a good video, like I said, where he references all of them and you know the surrounding kind of history and in terms of watchmaking around them, which is mm. interesting. I think that I think the thing with the Mac V Sog watches is it's interesting for two reasons: A, what the American Special Forces did in Vietnam is a very interesting story, and yeah, militarily, yeah, those guys were on another level like the 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 stuff that they pioneered in terms of small team tactics counterinsurgency all of that kind of stuff jungle warfare is phenomenal but then if you look at it in terms of just a journey with Seiko itself it's interesting like the fact that they came from the different sides of Seiko you know because obviously Seiko was two companies uh, yeah. it's interesting to see the design travel through you know and it's actually quite a short period of time you know you're only looking those watches were made from like 1966 to 72 that's not actually a long time you know but it's interesting to see the design cues across them as well which is really good um so i think you are probably you know again i'm clearly biased i like the mcvee's hog watches i'm very fortunate to have all three of them and i look at them all the time and enjoy wearing them i think you know in terms of the design in terms of the story behind those watches i think you know from my point of view you're on to a winner there um because they're so sought after um but in particular obviously we've i've seen some of your designs of them and obviously we've spoken about them i'm not going to give too much away it's not my place to but is the plan (laughs) is the plan effectively to look at releasing just one version or are you potentially going to look Um, at just really or or potentially you're going to do all three iterations and with your own spin on them as it were
1: wow
0: see what you mean that's a good
1: question actually so um Basically how how I I've approached this this specific project mm-hmm. um so it's a hard project to do because yeah. um I would say it's even harder than the a11 because the devil's even more in the details because it's it's it wasn't originally a military watch so it's just no more it's just a watch <laughs> yeah, it's just than, a, than, than a civilian watch so exactly <laughs> exactly so so that's that's what's that's what makes it a bit harder but yeah no so for me right now, um, to be totally honest, uh, we're trying to re-edit uh, based off a watch that was sent to us on the loan, uh, which was mm-hmm. one of the three. I couldn't, I couldn't even tell you which reference it is because I just don't know the reference numbers by heart, unfortunately.
0: Um, going up, so yeah, so going <laughs> off your render that you sent to me is yeah. either the six. Six six one nine or the six one one nine, uh, people yeah. will know that. Um, so it's the uh, it's the the ones obviously clearly from the sixties uh, and the ones with the sunburst dials. Yeah, um I I want to say it's a sixty.
1: Oh, I think it's sixty seven. I think it's yeah. sixty. It may I might be wrong. I don't know. I don't want. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say wrong no, stuff no, on right, podcast. <laughs> right.
0: I um, think I think off the top of my head, you, the one that you've got is the six one one nine eighty the eighty, two ten or something like that anyway people okay. know exactly which one it is go on go <laughs> on to my go, go on to timely moments scroll down you'll find one there you go easy uh,
1: <laughs> exactly um but yeah so basically the idea is to re-edit obviously the thing is um this is kind of our spec and it, we're known for re-editing as authentically yeah. as we can and so that's kind of what actually made the brand in the sense that for the a11s authentic meant not having our brand on the dial. And we're the only ones that have done that. And people are sometimes like, are you ashamed of your brand? Is that why you don't want to put it on the dial? We're like, nah, it's just, that's how it was before and we don't want to change it. And so obviously it's different because as you said, this is civilian, civilian watch. So there was some branding and some markings inside of it Mm and blah, blah, blah. And so we're trying to also re-edit those markings. Um, Obviously, we're not going to write Seiko on the dial because that mm-hmm. that's just illegal. Um, but um, we're trying to really get as close as we can while also obviously having um, that modern presidious touch that didn't mm-hmm. exist in the 60s. Um, and so for me, it's not about re-editing all three, mm-hmm. at least for now. It's more um, suggesting, diff- or not suggesting, proposing different variations, okay. um, which kind of, there's the original, which would be yeah. the white uh, index or a greenish index mm-hmm. loom that kind of imitates their vintage. And then we also, for example, want to do a faux patina version, which I know isn't 100% authentic because that's not how the loom on those age. But at the same time, it's something that right now, at least in the watch industry, I feel like there's a real appetite for mm-hmm. um, from what we've seen, from, from what I've seen on other brands as well. So typically we, we always will have that the strategists to have the authentic one and the one where we can say, yeah, no, that's exact. It's not exactly, but it's as close as we can get today to what they had before. Mm-hmm. But here's also some other things for some people who are like, okay, it's authentic enough. I want something a bit more fun. And so typically yeah. what you also saw was that we have, we're trying different dial finishings. yeah um of, And as you said, the original is a sunray. So like for sure, we will find a sunray on our designs. But then we're trying other di- finishings again because some people don't really like a Sunray because it's mm-hmm. too shiny or like uh, it doesn't really make sense for some guy that actually wants a military field watch. Like, why would you have a Sunray dial on it? doesn't make sense. I agree, but that's how it was. Um, and so we're trying different dial finishings, which, again, aren't, I would admit, they're not 100% authentic, but that's not the point. The point is also no. to make a watch that some people who are less into the exactitude of yeah. the historical model can enjoy and yeah. can choose a bit of a different finishing. And so that's, that's the idea behind, like, that's why you saw so many models, like people, people, the thing is like, yeah, yeah. People have to understand the podcast that I, I sent you the designs because I saw that you were like a really big fan of the Mac sock, mm-hmm. So um, that's why I sent, uh, so, so you saw the designs yeah. before the podcast, no. but yeah, like we're testing out different things. We want to make it a fun watch as well. Yeah. Um, Cause it is fun. I feel like it's really cool with the date and uh, with the date windows and all of that. So it's, it's, for me, it's, it's a new approach to the brand as well um, because we're super authentic. We're su- I mean, at least we try to be, I we try to be super authentic. We work a lot with uh, veterans in World War II. So there's this aspect of the brand, which is very um, historical and the brand really tries to make you feel that, yeah, we're working with as much as we can and as close as we can with history. Um, but at the same time, when you're growing, you have to kind of also expand out of a certain niche. Mm-hmm. And for me, I guess that the, I would say that the Sego Mac v. Sog re-edits that we're doing, for me, it would be that kind of collection where a broader audience can enjoy it because yeah. originally it was a civilian watch and it, yeah. it has it has less of those military traits while still having like this absolutely wild um military history. And yeah. that's what I found really attractive with this watch specifically compared to you know the vintage Benrus or Hamilton's of that time, yeah. which I mean obviously Hamilton still does their khaki field as well, so <laughs> it's less interesting to re-edit that. But also, I feel like those watches are still super military, super, and you can see it in the design. It, it makes sense. It was it's a military watch, and we're a military watch brand today. But I felt like it was cool to and refreshing to bring something which was less uh, military inspired from the conception and more a military watch because of how it was used, which is yeah. a cool story to tell. So that's yeah, why that we're should... doing the Magdi Sog.
0: I like it. I like it. And like I said, I actually like, I like some of the other designs and, you know, I look forward to seeing which ones you as a company go, go with, obviously, you know, we had a quick, quick message about them last night, which ones I I thought stood out to me. Um, And, you know, I I think it's a really cool thing to look at, you know, and it goes back to it at the end of the day, you know, there are people like myself who like the history, they like the accuracy of certain things. And then, like you said, there's a wider audience that just want a little bit of the feel of that, and they can turn around and say, well, actually, you know what, like you said, they didn't have, for example, I don't know, say someone wanted, and it's hypothetical, guys, because this clearly isn't in Oscars design, but say someone yeah. went, <laughs> I really like the McPhee Sog watches, but I just wish they were diamond encrusted.' you know, you know, <laughs> no, that's yeah. not going to happen. But, you know, yeah. clearly, you know, the, the joy of the joy of modern watchmaking is, is that we can take things and we can take design cues and stories and we can imbue those onto modern watchmaking and i think that's great you know absolutely. and like you said if you can tie it in with veterans um or you know a you know clearly a charity element as it were loosely exactly. to support support people who went through those um events um and highlight their story out the back of something like this i'm all for it i absolutely love it you know and um after we finish recording i'll actually try and i'll give you a point of contact who may be able to help you with a with the mac v sog kind of community That's in terms right. of getting yeah. getting at least your you know you as a company um you know in in you know like you said a conversation with that community because at the end of the day you know it sounds sad to say it in a very effectively brutally honest way but <laughs> The, you know the vietnam conflict was what you know it's it ended 50 years ago you know the yeah. the gentlemen the gentlemen involved in the you know the also the women clearly cuz you know they're, you know there were you know male and female personnel out there um are in their 70s now you know and that's like at yeah. the youngest that they could ever be you know really you know they're actually yeah. probably pushing 80 you know uh, at the oldest veterans will be in their 90s because of the time mm-hmm. they were born you know it's just One of those things. Unfortunately, these communities are getting older, you know, and you know that's a part of it. And like I said, I think these stories need to be told because fundamentally, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, if we don't tell these stories, you know, human beings like telling stories. You know, goes back to sitting around the campfire and talking (laughs) and spinning stories. You know, we we lose that history, don't we? And at the end of the day, you know, if we can keep a record of this history, uh, in terms of what that community did um I, i'm all for it you know and i think this is a good way to do it so yeah i i look forward to seeing those watches come out bro um yeah, and I mean... like i said if um you know and seeing that seeing them develop so that would be really cool um oscar in terms of the company then in terms of social media presence now yeah. um or engagement with yourself yeah. you know like i said i mean I, I i feel quite fortunate like i said i've had i've had you um in messages for a, a long time now yeah. how can how can how can people reach out to you how can people find out more about presidious other than listening yeah, to, so, to me talk to you on, on a podcast how, how can so, they
1: so that's um it's the thing that i i'm pretty proud about is um presidious apart from like the brand and our product and all of that also for me it's about um really good communication with the community mm-hmm. um and obviously that it in includes customer service but yeah i mean that i don't want to feel like i'm a merchant right now i want to feel like just mm-hmm. as like some guy that likes watches um and so yeah what 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 i've tried to do with presidious and what i've i think we're starting to get to a successful kind of area is communicate with um the people who are actually buying uh, some of our watches and so that's what I said, and I know I'm going to share this podcast with the, those guys that mm-hmm. I'm talking about right now. So I got to say some good stuff about them. Um, but yeah, what? I, um, basically, I've I spend a lot of my most of, I don't spend most I spend a lot of time communicating with actually uh, some of my better client uh, my my bigger clients on big customers my good customers. It's not good. I don't want to. I don't loyal. like using that word. Loyal. loyal exactly. I think is the word. You're after. <laughs> exactly. One of my some of my most loyal customers. So. Um, it started out with the Marston mat, which was like an edition we did, which was a pre-sale. And because it was a pre-sale, I was like, I felt like I had to kind of keep them updated on the process and how to do yep. that was I created a WhatsApp group with those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of developed into like now a fully fledged, just presidious kind of most loyal customer group. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, and that's something that's changed a lot because to be honest, it was quite hard. I mean, at the beginning of starting a brand, it's super hard, um, mm-hmm. especially when it's e-commerce because you wake up. You go to work or you start working from home as i do right now um and you go onto your website and you see for example um zero of sales or you know um people unhappy because you're starting so you know you make mistakes and stuff like that and it's very hard to keep motivate motivation high um but now ever since like i have this kind of now obviously the brand has grown so it's a different completely different perspective but as well it's grown and so i have this community behind me that kind of i interact with a lot um and a lot i mean on daily on whether it's a facebook group or the whatsapp group people also i just talk with them i, I sometimes i don't even know their full name but i mm-hmm. i just know their phone number yeah or you'll know messages.
0: them by instagram handle
1: as well exactly but, um, yeah exactly and and um and and, uh, and it ends up with like a 30 minute full-on like just texting um with 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 these guys and 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 that's kind of like the whole approach i have with the brand is mm-hmm. I want uh, people to really be able to talk to us uh, more than just you know a relationship of I sold you something and you yeah. paid me something or I owe you something. Um, it's really more to interact, and that's because I think that's the key to the brand kind of becoming successful, which is by listening to the customer base, um, especially because most of them are watch collectors such as yourself, so they have interesting insights, and mm-hmm. especially they usually have some of the originals, so. Yeah. I mean, they have insights, which I can have if I buy the watch. And for example, A11s, I, I mean, obviously we bought a few, but the Mac V I didn't buy one. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's it's pretty cool to have input from people like you. Um, but yeah, like, that's the approach. The brand is, I want it to be super approachable. And I feel like we are, and I especially feel like I am, even yeah. if I have a lot of stuff all the time, I always like it's a it's now it's become kind of like those little pleasures of like the night or something like that where i just answer my whatsapps or my emails or my stuff like that with customers so that's kind of like how approachable the brand is uh whether it's our socials i'm literally the one i'm the only one answering to our instagram right now on uh, on comments and messages so basically if ever whether it's customer service or a question like it's always me so and that it's, it's important. I feel like that's something like as well for if people want to start a brand, the most important I feel is to keep that contact um, yeah. with that community because even if it's something like, oh, uh, my strap is uh, too small for my wrist, then that's just something you have to improve on because, and I mean, that happened to us. That's why I'm saying that as an example, mm-hmm. now we're having to make an extra hole on the strap just because we didn't accommodate the bigger sized wrist blah, blah blah, and stuff like that. So the whole strategy is really based on community. Um and obviously we do our you know the e-commerce um brand stuff so we do uh Facebook marketing and we do emailing and stuff like that. But apart from that, which is I feel quite it can be a personal, I try to make it personal every time we do it. Um we also do actually communicate a lot with um people who are our customers and I and try to follow them through their entire journey with us. Um, Thanks. and their a 11, currently a 11 or future models that they would have.
0: That I think that's sense. great. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Like you said, on, so, I no, no, you... no, I think, I think it's great. Like you said, at the end of the day, you know, you are a watch company. Everyone understands that you have to sell watches to do what you do. Um, however, you know, customer service engagement with your client base, engaging with your, lo- like you said, for want of a better expression, your loyal, um, yeah. supporters, customers who have been there you know, since the beginning, I think it's important because at the end of the day, like you said, people people buy buy watches, right? And I've said this all the way through the podcast, we, we buy watches because they are effectively, they are redundant, you know, we tell yeah. time differently now in the modern world, you know, we just pick up yeah. a mobile phone, we've got time everywhere, right? You don't need a watch. A watch is something that is an emotional purchase, you know, Absolutely. or an emo- emotional, uh, you know, item that you either, like I said, you purchase or acquire, you know, because obviously I understand some are handed down um, and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, we don't need them. So to buy into a story such as, you know, the historic side with the A11 in this case, but also to buy into a brand and the people who run that brand. I've bought more watches from people that I know who own companies than I have from the big companies that everyone thinks about that on the high street. And the reason for that is because you know, firstly, watchmaking as a thing, modern technology, modern watchmaking across the ballpark in terms of price points that you buy you or buy, you can spend in, from my personal point of view, are pretty much the same whether it's got a certain brand on it or another mm-hmm. brand on it. If you're yeah. spending within a, a similar price point, you're gonna get the same level of yeah. quality control, uh, timing ability, you know, and, and, and finish and all that kind of stuff. But actually, more importantly, where I differ, and you know, I like to look at my collection. I turn around and say, "Yes, I've got some higher-end watches, but actually, they're all personal to me because I know the people who work for those companies, or I know the person who designs the watch, or I know the yeah. person who owns the company." And for me, I think that's important. And like you said, I think for me, uh, from my point of view, I think that's great that you take that time to run everything, even though it clearly makes you incredibly busy sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, But I like the fact that your opinion is actually is important. That I Do this i respond to my 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 fan base my followers my you know like you said your client base and all that kind of stuff because at the end of the day if it wasn't for them you wouldn't be where you are and you couldn't continue to make really cool watches and i think that's great you know but back to like the
1: whole emotional thing as well like um i remember a few of my customers when they bought specifically the marston mat which is the one where we use the world Mm -hmm. war ii metal for the dial They were saying, like, I'm not buying it for myself. I'm buying it for my son or for Mm -hmm. my grandson because they're the generations which won't actually live with um, the guys that actually fought World War II. And it'll just become a super, like, figurative kind of event, whereas today it's still that people are alive and can actually still tell stories, as you said. And so that's what really interested me is on that side of like the emotional connection and like the actual like sentimental or historical value and that's where we're at right now and yeah it's 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 something that yeah, yeah it's 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 something that you need to know how to manage um yeah for sure and i mean i hope we're doing a good job i think we are um but yeah it's 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 a lot of pressure at the same time because you got to make a watch that as you said matches um the quality so for example for the Marston, it's, we use a Swiss movement, we use Sapphire, we use more expensive components, but it's because, mm-hmm. I mean, the metal inside makes it worth the whole, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't want to have like a quartz movement, which then only lasts two or three years. Then you got to get your battery changed. If it's to have a an actual piece of World War II metal that lived through D-Day, it just doesn't make sense. And so those are kind of like, yeah, the things we wrestle with. It's the same with, um, and it, it's the same with the camo. It's the same with, basically everything I want to do is I want to have that really strong emotional connection through Mm -hmm. all of our products um, that people feel those emotional connections and working with veterans is also kind of an awesome part of the job is you, you infuse their actual experience and story to the product. And that's, that's kind of, I think where we started with a pretty good, good amount of success. So um, yeah, I totally 100% agree with like the emotional and the fact that yeah, today, I mean, for me, I, when I when friends ask me like, uh, "Do you actually use your watch?" I'm like, eh. "It's more of a jewelry. It's more like mm-hmm. jewelry for me than it is for timekeeping because yeah, I mean, as you said, just look at your phone and you're done, or you just look anywhere and you have time everywhere. So, it's it's a different perspective, yeah, than what they when than when those guys were using it, which was actually to tell time.
0: Yeah, so it's exactly.
1: It's an interesting evolution, yeah, I agree.
0: Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um. So in terms of where people can find you, is it predominantly Instagram at Presidious uh, Watches? Yeah, or can, sorry, it's not problem. <laughs> problem. I mean, guys, it's all gonna be in the show notes anyway, clearly. But um I just want to confirm. Obviously you can reach out on Facebook, the website and and Instagram and yeah. I assume, like Instagram. I said, it's all it's all Presidious Watches or Presidious yeah. underscore or Presidious dot watch and all Yeah, orders. or dots or something like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but yeah, basically that's that's the whole thing. Is right now we're only digital. Um mm-hmm. we're too I would say we're still too small to go with some retail partnerships, which I know it's annoying for some that want to see and touch and feel the watch for buying it. I yeah. agree. Like I panic when I buy things which are above hundred dollars online. So I can understand when you're buying a $600 watch site, you'd like to see it, but uh, yeah, that's probably for at least another couple of years. So until then it's, yeah, get in touch with us through
0: Mm -hmm. Instagram,
1: Facebook, um, yeah. Email the website, basically Mm -hmm. kind of everything that that you want. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. I'm, I'm usually always the one that's answering, except if it's email. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, just, just get in touch with me on Instagram if you want.
0: <laughs> Happy days. Happy days. Um, well, uh, like I said, I'll put it all into show notes. Um, obviously, so people have got it, you know. And, I'm not stressed know, about ha- that. Don't, nah, don't worry. So it'll, it'll all be good. Um, Oscar, before we move on to the closing notes section of yeah. the podcast today, have, have we missed anything? You know, uh, like I said, we've taken – Uh, presidious from its inception through you know like i said through the range of watches through some special projects and highlighted that we've spoken about stories in the community and then you know and the difficulty of starting a watch brand and we've looked at obviously your future aspirations in terms of some of the models that you want to do and you know and also covered the ethos behind presidious how you run the business is there anything that you feel that we've missed out about presidious Um, as a company you know I think there's I wouldn't say we
1: missed about it. It's just something I didn't I didn't talk about. I don't know why I didn't talk about it. It's more that also like alongside everything we've just talked about, precisely mm-hmm. also there's another mission at the core of it, which is American watchmaking. Okay. Um, because that's also a whole component that um kind of was pretty incredible during World War II was like the US made basically every single thing they were using at that time, uh industrially. Um and so Today we're uh, on the verge of starting to work with uh, courts, uh, American courts, um, and maybe American automatic uh, movements, um, and that's kind of like at the heart of the brand as well. It's kind of how to reindustrialize in a sense, or like revive rather the mm-hmm. watch industry in the U.S. And that's why we do you yeah, it's we I I can mention it. We do U.S. assembly. Um, obviously, we can't do U.S. made because if some people have kind of followed with. Um, what happened with the FTC and uh, Shinola. Uh, Mm -hmm. Basically you can't say U.S. made unless it's like 90 or 95%. It's a crazy amount of percentage of the value and the components are U.S. made. Good luck finding um, finding certain components made in the U.S. So it's, um, yeah, that's like another mission of ours. It's a long undertaking, but uh, it's a cool project, because we're actually trying to find vintage um, U.S. made movements Mm-hmm. uh and to, um and to service those and then to put them into a new uh obviously a new casing and blah 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 yeah. and to and then to kind of like sell that as a limited edition so if ever any of your listeners by any chance has a dead stock of, of u.s made vintage movements then <laughs> please contact yeah, me please contact them.
0: <laughs> yeah the guys yeah if you've got any uh, american made um movements or uh what components please please uh, let us go know um, yeah I'm interested <laughs> it's hard to find yeah, yeah but no i think that's really cool like you said to to bring back America, effectively american watchmaking and you know and, and have that i think is a really cool cool spin I mean, it as well
1: it's interesting because yeah like the i mean you, you're obviously you're 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 british but in british the british watch industry is really coming back as well right
0: yes and i feel yeah, like yeah, i've yeah. seen
1: more and more like actual brands being able to say like yeah we do our stuff in, in the uk
0: yeah yeah so like cool. i mean uh, you know just just looking at that you know i mean i'm a big fan of british made watches as well clearly you of know course. a <laughs> lot of my, my well yeah that's it you know i've got watches from all over i've got american made watches i've got japanese watches yeah. i've got british i've got swiss you know i've been really fortunate in my collection and you know my journey through through watch collecting today you know, but obviously for me, a big thing is British-made watches. I look at, you know, just looking at the industry now in terms of what is happening. You know, you look at Bramont; they've, they've got the new yeah. Wing and what they're doing in terms of like large-scale, high luxury, effectively, you know, watch ma- manufacture. You then got the likes of Elliot Brown, who I again another bit a massive advocate for. You know, they have just been doing their own thing in their own lane. Uh, for years and I think it's fantastic and they've just released a new watch with two patents to that watch you know that they're the awesome. only person who can make that they're the only people who can make that watch it's got a patent on the watch itself and it's got a patent wow. on, on on the clasp of the of of one of the straps so that's two patents you know in, in watchmaking there you've obviously got you know other um independent watch uh companies like vertex doing their stuff you know uh, and, and and it's fantastic you know and I, and I think like you said you know it's really cool to see the re-emergence of british mm-hmm. watchmaking especially from like a clearly you know a patriotic british point of view yeah. because effectively <laughs> british watchmaking at mass scale died during the quartz crisis
1: you know yeah the same and, as and the u.s one
0: exactly you know and, and at the end of the day like you know that's just again it goes back to it doesn't it that's just how technology developed that's how it happened and yeah. you know and that's fine. But like you said, it's really cool to see that, you know, a reemergence of watchmaking, you know, in, in countries where they did once have a massive watchmaking yeah. industry. You know, um, a couple of episodes ago, I interviewed Stan from LRF Antique Watches. He made, okay. he, he wrote the book about the history of Waltham and Elgin and all that kind of stuff. And oh, he spoke awesome. about, he spoke about the, um, Charles Deployer, Deployer? watches um uh which were effectively the world's first waterproof watches and they were issued to the american soldiers during the trenches but he talks about american watchmaking and just saying how you know you like you said america when they went to war they made everything that those military personnel took with them to war Mm. you know and he said that there was you know hundreds of thousands of these watches effectively being made in yeah. mass factories you know at the waltham factory at hamilton at elgin all of these places and all of these are like pretty big brands back yeah. back in the day they were they massive were huge. you know yeah, they were huge. and you know the other side of it is you know he, he 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 said a really good story as well people forget you know stuff just like your infrastructure in america the continent is so big that those watches yeah. had to be used just to coordinate stuff like look at like the exactly. rail network you know yeah. it's stuff like that. and i think like you said to bring it back i, I know it's never going to get to that size overnight but no, it's just really problem. cool to see
1: yeah <laughs> we're far away from there
0: <laughs> exactly but you know what like i said the point being is it's just really cool to see that you know there's brands like yourself uh, and there's in you know and as well as individuals like stan who are you know beating the drum on you know bringing back watchmaking yeah. to these countries that have had a you know really large industry and i think it's really yeah
1: cool. absolutely so yeah that's that's just like the only thing you know like it's 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 a cool thing it's a cool project yeah. it's long it's a long project though
0: but but, but clearly worth doing and like you said it, it's a way for you know cat to have an influence on that industry and i think it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, so um, everyone obviously, Clee, go go follow Oscar. Drop him, drop him a message on <laughs> on Instagram. Uh, talk about uh, everything from A 11s American watchmaking, reissue watches, and, and obviously his future plans for for Presidius. Um, Oscar, we've now reached the uh, part of the episode where we move naturally into the closing notes <laughs> phase of of the show. That's um, good do you have any closing notes if not i've got some and I'll, I'll i'll drop mine mine in first i know um like i said because of our timings for this episode um we were meant to record earlier in the week and then obviously my my real work as it were kind of got in the way um so i don't want to drop the closing no, notes really? element onto you um no. you know out of the blue but if you That's have fine. a closing note for for the audience please you know take it away
1: um so i'll admit i'm not exactly sure
0: <laughs> what i need to what what are
1: exactly closing so, notes okay so normally
0: so it's so normally on the closing notes side uh we uh, me and my guest effectively uh give suggestions for the audience to go out oh. and check out so um oh, okay, I'll go, awesome. I, yeah yeah so like I'll, I'll 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 go first on this one uh go ahead um so effectively guys um i've started a it's it's a tv series that i've mentioned in the back issues of of the podcast it's just released a new season and it's called fauda uh, so f-a-u-d-a and it's on netflix so it's called fauda fauda is a tv series that is about counter-terrorism operations in israel it's all fictitious um if you want a little bit of the whole counterterrorism spy kind of stuff but in a different setting away from the standard ones that you think about you know like Treadstone and all that kind of stuff which also is a good closing note um go check it out it was really the, the new season was released uh, last Friday um so go check it out um really good acting um I would give you a suggestion of watching it in Hebrew and reading the subtitles just because I personally don't like dubbed Series on Netflix because it doesn't always work because obviously, you know, sometimes the mouth is not moving and the dubbed is still going. It's just one of those. And Hebrew is quite a difficult language, I think, to dub correctly. Mm. So um, go check out Fowder. Like I said, I've mentioned it before, but obviously the latest season has just come out. And then I've got another closing note, which is on Amazon Prime. Unfortunately for everyone, you don't need to dub it because it's in English. Uh, It's an American film. uh, And it ties really nicely, actually, back to um, the Ace of Two Oceans for you. Yeah, Uh, It's a film called Devotion. Now, Devotion follows um, the story of, effectively, U.S. Navy fighter pilots uh, Mm. during the Korean War. Uh, what's Super interesting cool. is it follows a individual who was one of the first African-American I think Navy fighter pilots during the Korean War uh and it's it's about his friendship within his squadron um and their deployment uh taking the Corsair so the f4F Corsairs um to war in in the Korean War so check that out it's on Amazon um it was re- it, as a film it was released um earlier this year so yeah
1: Super cool. Okay. I got it
0: now. Okay. I got the hang of yeah. it. So I have yeah.
1: So for me, it would be uh first thing is um a really cool book uh called Across the Fence. Maybe you've mm-hmm. spoken about it. I don't know, maybe you've heard about it. Uh it's by John Stryker Mayer. It, it ties in honestly, absolutely perfectly to the Mac V Sog watch because he was part of the Mac V Sog mm-hmm. and um his book, I think there's actually two now, but I read the only I only read the first one. Yeah. It's just crazy. I mean, you, the, the things you read, you don't understand how this guy Got out of their life it's it's yeah. it's just mental it's honestly mental and um to bounce off of that book he went on to the jocko podcast jocko willis podcast yeah. and i think he has like three interviews over there and mm-hmm. um they're they're also like crazy they're crazy good they're long I think they're pretty long I think it's like two hours per podcast Yeah, it's super long but for people who like podcasts which I'm guessing the guys here do I highly recommend um those three podcast uh, episodes from Jocko with uh, John Stryker Mayer where he talks about his experiences and it's just crazy to actually like hear about it is probably even crazier than to read about it so yes definitely recommend that um and uh and then for a movie Actually, it's a series. Um, it's a cool series that I've, I've just finished watching. It's called Babylon Berlin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's super interesting. It deals with, again, this is f- more for history buffs and stuff like that. It's uh, It deals with the Wehrmacht Republic, um, which was mm-hmm. uh, basically the government between uh, World War I and World War II installed in Germany. Um, and uh, season four is um, starting, it's it's in 1930s, so it deals with the rise of fascism. And how basically Hitler came to power, and I feel like that's also super interesting. It's really well done. I it's funny because I would I would have I'm just gonna say the same thing. Uh, don't watch it dubbed. Watch it in the original German yeah. because it just doesn't look good when you're listening it with dubbed English. Um, but yeah, it's a super cool like window into um, into how it was back then, how especially Germans perceived themselves, and like the whole situation back in Europe between World War One and World War II. So. Highly recommend that series. It's it's really cool, really fun as well.
0: Cool. <laughs> Happy days. Um, yeah, they sound really cool actually. Um, especially that Babylon Berlin. It reminds me of another film. Um, I'm not going to put it in the show notes because I've mentioned it. Um, in the last, uh, <laughs> in about four, maybe six episodes ago, as a TV is it was a film called Munich, and it's all about the prelude to yeah. war. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. so it sounds very similar to that. And like I said, it's interesting actually because I think, like I said, we kind of you know, in terms of history, especially you know in terms of like British like how you're taught history, you kind of go like one or one, a little bit about the Great Depression, a lot about you know or say you touch on the Great Depression I and mean, then you touch on like yeah. prohibition and gangsters in Chicago, and then there's absolutely nothing until world war ii and i think people forget actually then <laughs> you know the late 1920s into the 30s and the prelude to war you know yeah. the whole european you know like you said how the, the situation in europe in the fascism, 30s and yeah. stuff like that and the rise of fascism is really important to look at if you're then going to look at world war two in the in the depths and the levels that we do look at it because at the end of the day you know the 1930s were the forming years of of the of the third reich you know and it's interesting to see like you said the attitudes of the the, the nation and how that kind of worked but then also the attitudes of the world yeah. looking at germany as it was doing what it was doing in the 30s so yeah i'll definitely check that out that sounds really interesting i assume babylon berlin is exactly. on is it on netflix or is it on amazon it's it's pretty cool i, I it's
1: um i don't know where did i see it let me check i know yeah actually it is on netflix it's not on netflix i'm in france right now i know it's on netflix france it's on netflix u.s that's the first three seasons probably the fourth one is coming uh i watched the fourth season i think through a vpn on like a german broadcast or something yeah Uh, i'm a big fan of it um but yeah i know for a fact that at least the first three seasons now are yeah. on the netflix but yeah i need to use a vpn to get on the u.s maybe they have it in the uk i don't know but yeah. it's i mean it's, I it's, it's 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 fun like it's 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 not it's not like you know a full-on like kind of the pacific kind of um detail yeah but it's cool to see because i feel like they they mimic really well and they give you a real feel of how it was back then in germany so it's it's pretty yeah. interesting yeah but yeah, yeah. it's it's it's
0: We'll it's check it absolutely out. Absolutely,
1: one hundred percent historically accurate. is Wednesday.
0: <laughs> okay, like I said, it's awesome. uh, well. I mean, historical satire is probably the best way to look at it. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it's cool. I recommend it, though. Cool. Yes. Happy days. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, Oscar, thank you very much, mate, for giving up your time this evening. I know, like I said, the timings were a little bit skewed this week. In the end. Uh, but i'm glad we got there i'm glad that we managed to talk about yourself talk about presidious and 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 everything to do with the company and obviously where you want to take it um guys like i said as i've said all the way through the episode please go check out presidious drop oscar a message um clearly he'll respond to you um and until then in terms of podcast guys look forward to hopefully like i said the next episode after this episode when it airs will be the question and answer panel for the independent podcasters. Um, If it doesn't happen, um, I've got a substitute podcast uh, collaboration episode with another independent podcaster, um, but I just need to tie up some dates on my end. Uh, But other than that, thank you very much for listening, and I will catch you in the next episode.